Hello, dear ones. I'm Barbara Hemphill, entrepreneur, author, speaker, and vision accelerator. Welcome to Christine's Radiant Joy video podcast. If you're not where you'd hoped to be spiritually right now, this series will encourage you to be who God made you to be. Chances are you're a well-meaning believer with a lot on your plate. So thank you for tuning in as you seek Holy Spirit inspiration to move into life to the full with purpose, fruitfulness, healing, freedom, and radiant joy. Hi there, sister friends. Are you a lover of laughter? I'm Christine Borsma-Smith, and I'm thrilled to introduce Dr. Jennifer Ocker, PhD, a popular and inspiring Stanford Graduate School of Business professor. Her expertise and contributions have been widely recognized in academia and in business. She's an accomplished author and quite the presenter with over 2 million views on her and her co-authors TED Talk. Jennifer has established herself as a leading voice in the field of behavioral science. Over the years, Jennifer's research has focused on the intriguing relationship between time, money, and happiness. Her most recent book is Humor Seriously, Why a Humor, Why Humor is a Secret Weapon in Business and Life and How Anyone Can Harness It, Even You. I think they get the prize for the longest book title I've ever come across. Her co-author is Naomi Bagdonis, and their book and their Stanford Business School class explore the untapped potential of humor. As adults, it seems we take ourselves far too seriously. Jennifer demonstrates how humor can profoundly impact our work and our personal lives. Jennifer is full of ideas to help us unlock the power of humor, to enhance relationships, and to boost resilience. Jennifer, I help women who have a lot on their plates. They've weathered a lot of challenges, and yet they have hope and faith. Many are seeking spiritual growth, freedom in Christ, and transformation. I thank you so much for joining us to help us discover the transformative power of humor in our lives. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So glad to have you, Jennifer. You have some uh, amazing, I'm going to start with something else, actually. What if, in your title, that part that really got to me, because it's like me, is the story, what is the part about anyone can harness, harness humor, even you. I've never felt like a funny person. And so I tell myself this story that I'm not funny. Um, is there a, can you give us a little insight into how this applies to those of us who don't think we have a anything funny about our, our... Yeah, it's such a good question. I love this question to start too, because, um, well, number one, I've never been known as being funny in my five-person family. When we do surveys, I'm always rated the least funny person. And the dog is before me. In fact, the dog is like at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. um, we've done surveys, which is what fun families do a lot. And I am always at the end. Um, now, 
this wasn't always the case. When I was young, I'm pretty sure I was moderately humorous. But then like 1.4 million other people where we asked, have you smiled or laughed a lot in the last 24 hours? Um, the answer was yes for me and, and these 1.4 million other people across uh, countries that we asked. Yes, around 16, 18, 20. And then it drops precipitously around 23, right when we start to kind of go into work. And it doesn't increase again. People don't start saying yes again until about 80, which is horrifying. It's horrifying. Especially since we know the expected uh, life expectancy, uh, average life expectancy is around 78. So that's mm -hmm. not great for all of us. And we know from the research, there are significant health benefits associated with laughter as well. In fact, one Norwegian study showed that people live about eight years longer if they simply say they have a sense of humor, not even a good sense of humor. It's Norway. And I'm Norwegian, so I can say that. So even just being generous with your laughter is correlated with positive health benefits. Now, here's the problem. So we grow up, we stop smelling and laughing, and increasingly we tell the story. I'm not funny, nor do I want to be necessarily, because when I go to work, I want to be very serious. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to take risks. There's lots of reasons why we start to lose this tendency to smile and laugh a lot in the day. Um, and we do know it's partly due to work because on weekends, people do say they smile and laugh a lot more. Anyway, um, the, the biggest thing that I have found in this decade of research around this is just to tell yourself, this is not about being funny. This is about humanity. This is just showing up as a human and having a sense of humor, which is really different than being funny. Um, Naomi and I have run countless surveys across cultures over the last decade, um, basically giving people a battery of questions about their sense of humor, what makes them laugh, et cetera. And we found there's four very different types of humor styles. So I'm just going to ask you, Chris, I'm going to tell you these four styles. I want you, I want anyone listening to think, what is my dominant humor style? And then I'm going to talk about why that's such an unlock in this space. Okay, number one. There are these stand-ups and they are extroverted and boisterous. They're unafraid to ruffle a few feathers to get a laugh. They're quite bold. They're what, you know, we probably always thought of as funny people, right? right. Um, yeah, they're pretty extroverted. Then there's sweethearts and they are earnest, honest, understated. They are, um, they're, they're really good at reading the room. They would never call themselves funny, nor would they want to. But if you look at their humor, it often is served to uplift others. Uh, then there are snipers, edgy, sarcastic, dry. They are masters of the unexpected dig. Um, and you probably know them because it's very hard to get them to laugh. But when you do, you feel great. Uh, and they might like have a one liner behind their breath. So they don't need everyone to hear them. Just, you know, if a couple of people or their own selves hear them, that's good enough. And then fourth, there's magnets, and they are extroverted and um, charismatic. They light up a room when they walk in. They might be a little bit more physical with their humor, a little bit silly, a little slapstick. They might even use humor too much. You'd be like, okay, tone it down a bit. And so those are four very different um, humor styles. So I'll pause. <laughs> and do you think there's one or two styles that really resonates with you? By process of elimination, because I really didn't feel super connected with any of them, 
Um, sweethearts, I'll pick that sweethearts. Um, maybe I think I've had the sniper in me. Maybe I had that a little bit more when I was younger than I do now. Yep. I've seen the sniper. So I will attest you've got a side sniper before. <laughs> and I do too. I used to love it. And then one time I alienated a friend inadvertently um, with my snipe. And um, I basically stopped using humor because, you know, I didn't want to alienate or hurt anyone um, unbeknownst to you. Um, I, I was in my case, unbeknownst to me, but, um, and so that's what happens. We have a humor fail and then we basically stop using humor and then we get out of touch. Like what does make me laugh? When am I humorous? Um, these are all questions that we actually ask our students on day one of class. We have them do a humor audit because like you, they might not even see where their sense of humor wet, right? Mm -hmm. They've, um, you know, achieved so much or gone through so many challenges that they've lost it. And so on that first week, we have them write down every day, what made them laugh or when did they make someone else laugh for one week? I remember one student said, who knew a class on humor could be so depressing? I did not laugh once on Tuesday. And so <laughs> oh, you have to like work a muscle, just like working out. You need to actually even be aware what does make me laugh. And just by noting it in your journal, you can start to write down what were the laugh lines? What were the context with whom are you like most generous with your laughter? With whom do you laugh easily? So that's the first thing. So step number one for everyone, this is not about being funny. This is just about getting in touch with your own humor style and a sense of humanity. And I would really encourage you to take the quiz. You can even go to humorseriously.com and take it in two minutes. And then you'll get a PDF to say, what is your humor style? So we'll do that later on today. We, we will do that. And as you know, I live with somebody who has sense of humor is one of his main, um, it's really important to him. And it's, it's witty. It's wry. When I first met him, I asked him not to tell jokes to the new people I was introducing him to. <laughs> <laughs> but I've come to really appreciate it. So I do laugh often as a recipient. <laughs> Can I just share one of my favorite studies? Because I sure. know you like the data too. Um, but here, here's my one of my favorite studies. There was a researcher who asked couples um, either recall the last time you had a happy moment with each other. So write down those happy moments. Or in the second condition, the researcher asked couples, remember the last time you laughed together, like really belly laughed together. Um, and then they came back at a later point in time and asked these two types of couples, randomized sample, um, how close do you feel? And the individuals in the second condition, those ones that just you know, thought back to those, those belly laughing moments reported to be about 25% more satisfied in their relationship than those individuals who just recalled happy moments, which are also positive. Mm -hmm. And think about that, Chris, because that means number one, these are just recalling shared laughter moments, right? Number two, we spend so much on therapy and investing in our relationships. Laughter is free and yeah. simply recalling those moments, not even experiencing them gives you this boost in how strong and satisfied you are in your relationship. Um, so I can't underscore how healthy that is um, when you get lucky enough to, to have a partner who has a sense of humor, even if it's a different sense of humor than yours, what you can start to do is understand 
um, an appreciation for different uh, senses of humor with this typology. Right, right. Well, I'm going to move on and ask you, um, there's a lot of women, many of our listeners are navigating complexities of life as you and I are, and they would love to have more peace and joy in their lives. So how can incorporating humor into our daily routines and the way we interact with other people, how could that help us to achieve a greater sense of peace or lighten the burdens we carry? Uh, another good question. Um, so it's really important to understand why humor would actually cultivate the sense of peace and some level of joy in our lives. So most people think that humor is a psychological thing, right? It's, you know, an attitude or, you know, it's, it's something that has you know, psychological benefits, but it's actually quite neurological. There's a physiological basis to laughter. So when we laugh together, our brains release a cocktail of hormones. So we release endorphins, giving us a feeling similar to a runner's high. We reduce our cortisol, so our cortisol levels, which is similar to meditation. And then we also release dopamine, which gives you that feeling of joy or, you know, um, kind of this, this high that you get when you have coffee or physical touch, um, you know, those two things. So, um, so indeed, when we laugh together, you get this cocktail of hormones where you feel like you're running and you're meditating and sort of, you know, having sex all at the same time, but much more efficient. Um, <laughs> and so it is true that it gives you that feeling of calm as well as joy at the same time. So the question is, you know, how do you have more of it in your life? One of the things is going back to this theme of this is not about being funny. It's really understanding that the heart at the heart of humor is all basically truth and misdirection. So it's where you zig and then you eat a ham sandwich. So you're saying truth, you're noting truth, um, not trying to be funny, just noting truth, and then maybe exaggerating or creating a contrast or um, ending on something funny. So it creates that kind of uh, distraction. So I think the most important thing is this idea of starting to take notes. Right? We also encourage our students to take note on that second week of class of just small truths in their lives. So, you know, for example, like whenever um, you get a guest um, that comes to visit your house, you always know Gracie is gonna be the most gracious uh, host who's gonna greet them. Mm -hmm. You know, just like little truths. Um, Gracie is your dog and Gracie loves people. Um, mm -hmm. Or just like this truth about Toby, your partner, and the wry undertones that he'll have inevitably at every dinner. So just like write those down, these little truths. And then once you start seeing um, these kind of truths and share them with levity, you'll start to see that you create a lot more levity in your life. So that's the second week exercise is just note down little truths. Or like, for example, during COVID, I literally never comb the back of my hair ever, like for two years, you know, <laughs> small troops like yeah. that. <laughs> That's good. Um, my next question is uh, for those who wish to cultivate a holier or more intentional approach to life. And of course, peace and joy are part of that. They're fruits of the spirit. But 
I wanted to know if you had, um, well, I guess, actually, I'm going to switch this around a little. One of the way, think, ways that we can have some levity, I think, from what I've been hearing from you in the areas of faith and spirituality, one thing is probably everybody listening has heard people tell some story that is something unbelievable that's happened in their lives or something kind of miraculous. And they will conclude in saying, God sure has a sense of humor. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. I think that's pretty great. And on the other hand, um, I think we can bring a little levity. There's, there's a lot of nervousness out there about spiritual warfare. And one of the things that is a favorite thing of the of spiritual opposition to do is to plant a lot of negative self-talk in us. So I heard somebody say, and I've started to do this, if a negative thought comes to me, to just say very quickly, not today, Satan. Scram, <laughs> you little devil. And that actually fulfills the biblical um the the exhortation in the book of James to uh, stand firm, resist the devil, and he will flee. And a lot of people make that into a really heavy prayer. But if some thought is coming into your mind that's going to distract you from focusing on the good, the holy, the love, and you can just say, not today, Satan, or scram you little devil, I think that brings a nice levity into spirituality. Oh, I love it. Um, you know, it's so interesting because you think about, I have a friend who said something um, once to me. She said um, that no one, um, she's talking about this in the context of spirituality. And she goes, no one really remembers us truly, like, you know, in the day-to-day -day when we're alive. But when we die, they do. And that allows us to realize how impermanent life is and to not take ourselves so seriously and, and to move forward with a sense of gratefulness and wonder and joy. And I think that there's something, you know, very elegant. Spirituality um, also gives us a sense of perspective, putting things kind of in its place. And I think humor does something, you know, as well um, in, in a similar way. So I think there's also a similarity with this idea of the tools that we gather, like not today, Satan or whatever, um, coming from a spiritual grounding or practice that I think humor helps to either amplify or echo. One of the tools that I have um, is just asking myself, like when something goes downhill, it's like, oh, plot twist. Did not see that coming, right? <laughs> um, or we know all of these stories of like, you know, where, where you can kind of even begin to, I don't know, um, proactively, um, turn things into something that could be negative and then like, you know, basically uh, sabotage it and make it go in a different direction by simply putting um, the words yes and before any sentence. Uh, and this is work certainly that's been trained from improv and Kelly Leonard at Second City and others. So there are certain little tools um, that I think create some levity and give us practices in the day to day that allow us to get that perspective, realize life is impermanent, and that allows us not to take ourselves so seriously. Um, I also wanted to share one personal story, if I could. Like, um, 
you know, I came from this, like, you know, you as someone who didn't really think of myself as humorous, nor did I want to. Um, and, but I think there were seeds of understanding how important this work that came from my mom. So, um, as you know, my mom has worked not just as a teacher for 50 years, but as a hospice volunteer. And so she's with people on the last days of their life when, um, you know, they either express regrets about their life, um, because it's her job to see if she could, um, help resolve them or listen to them or see if she can make them, um, you know, manifest somehow, or they pass on with joy and like this feeling of like, oh my gosh, what a ride that was. And so I noticed when growing up with her that she would share these themes of what people often regret in their last days of life. And they fell into these buckets. So there was one theme around boldness. I wish I had been bolder and taken more risks. The second is, I wish I'd been more authentic and true to myself, true, true not to what listening so much what society says, but true to myself. A third was presence. I just wish I had savored these small moments more, you know, holding hands with my grandkid or playing with my dog or whatever, these small little moments and being present in them. And then fourth is humor. I wish I didn't take myself so seriously, which I think is also a gift that we get if we deeply spiritually practice too, is that deep understanding of, I'm not gonna take myself so seriously. And the last is love. I wish I had the chance to say, I love you one more time. And um, I love the end of our book because Michael uh, Lewis, the author does the epilogue with us. And he talks about, he kind of does a callback to these five regrets that people mention. And he says, you know, it's true that when humor exists, love is not far behind. And, and I think that's so true that when you can hold things lightly and live life on the precipice of a smile, that it's just easier to actually cultivate that, um, that love in our life. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I also think, um, well, two things, my, uh, the book that I've been working on is about being authentic and bold and present and it's about love it doesn't it's not it hasn't said anything about humor but it the not taking yourself too seriously is sort of implied in there but i i love how that all um fits together and then i also think when you were talking before about um when people pass and how they're remembered you never go to a funeral and listen to a eulogy that doesn't tell funny stories about the person they want absolutely they want to uplift the audience at a time of grief but they remember and that's what they tell at in eulogies is always funny stories about the person it is so true in fact i met the washington post obituary um journalist the writer who wrote all of the obituaries for the last 30 years and he told me that the best uh um you know, eulogies, but also the, you know, these obituaries that he would write, the best ones were always those that captured humor. And the reason is because there's an authenticity to the person. When you understand the stories around them where they made others laugh or, you know, they laughed, that that reveals the truth of them. And so that's why he loved to, um, you know, try and dig out some of those funny stories about people in their life. That's great. Many of our 
listeners are in a stage in life when they have family dynamics and relationships with adult children. And that can be a very significant part and sometimes a significant challenge. So how could humor enhance resilience and help us navigate those uncertainties and relationship dynamics and foster more open and harmonious connections, either with our loved ones or with people that God calls us to serve and support? Um, absolutely. So one um, another favorite study, um, researchers actually had people either watch a humorous video for five minutes or a neutral, like kind of a documentary for five minutes. And then they had them come to the lab and um, they had them interact with someone else and said, you're going to do a get to know you exercise. Can you spend five minutes, you know, getting to know each other? So um, the, the subjects in the experiment would then work with this confederate or the person um, in the in the study and share information about themselves. And then all of that information was basically given to other uh, independent raters to rate how open and self-disclosing people were. And individuals that were exposed first to the humor video versus the neutral video disclosed about 30% more personal information. So you ask this question about how do you get people to open up and have this honest relationship, especially when times are, are challenging. And I think your instinct is right, that there is something very valuable about the moment where there's some shared laughter because the research shows that people afterwards, partly because of that endorphins and dopamine and cortisol going down, all of those shifts, uh, there's hormone shifts that, that create the mindset and the actual physiology of being in a more sort of trusting environment. Um, I'm just gonna share kind of a side story and then I'll come back to your question. One of our favorite study, uh, stories was by Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, who came into our class mm -hmm. a few years back. Um, and she shared with the students how all she had these 10 stories, which, by the way, is a great exercise. You sh everyone should have 10 signature stories that define their lives, many of which will hopefully be humorous. And um, I'll talk a little bit about that and how you do that in a second. But so she gives these 10 stories to the students, like they're just kind of titles and the students kind of pick which story they uh, want to hear. And one of the stories that she they picked and she started in on was this time she had to negotiate with a Russian foreign minister. And um, she found out right before the negotiation that he had bugged the US State Department, <laughs> which is a serious breach in international diplomacy. So she's thinking, what do I do? What do I do? So she goes into the negotiation wearing this gigantic bug pin. It was, I'm no joke, Chris, it was four inches big. And she shares with the students how he couldn't help but smile and how the energy in the room just diffused. And, and it was, when you told that, because it's part of your TED talk and I've seen the picture. It's and, huge. And I couldn't help but even laugh before you even got to the punchline <laughs> But I, I, that's a reason why I'd love to have everybody afterwards on the in the um, end notes on this podcast. They'll be able to get the link to your TED talk. They should Absolutely. Go, you can see the picture. Just to see the bug. <laughs> I'm not joking. It was four inches. And she has, oh, by the way, you can also go buy her book on pins. She has all these different pins, like a serpent pin when she met, you know, Saddam Hussein, who called her a serpent. And she's like, oh, hi. Saddam, and then there's a big serpent pin. Anyways, 
point here, the reason I share this in the context of these sometimes challenging situations, so much about being competent, whether it be as a friend, as a parent, um, as a leader, is knowing when humor is necessary. And you know that moment when you walk into a room and it's so tense and you know that just a little levity will just diffuse the tension because if Secretary of State Madeleine Albright can do it with a Russian foreign minister who bugged the State Department, we all can do it with our kids and parents and friends. Um, so yes, this idea of how do we do it? Part of this is just about, as I said before, being human. For example, with Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, she loves jewelry. So she has things around her world that just make her more human so people don't act like Secretary of State Madeleine Albright is in front of me, but rather Madeleine is in front of me. So part of this, you know, another thing we often have our students do is they describe their job to a friend, then they describe what is one activity they do where time passes effortlessly, where when you do it, time just disappears. And then the third question is, how does doing your job well just like that passion activity. So for you, it might be quilting. For me, it might be surfing, whatever it is. The question is, what is it about quilting, for example, that makes you a better spiritual follower or a better mom, et cetera? And even just thinking about that area of passion, whether it's jewelries or quilting or whatever, even just that thought actually shifts the way that you do things and you interact. So those are two specific tips, like what is your bug pin moment? And also what are things that are just make you passionate or the other person passionate that you can sort of bring up? Um, I'll give you one more tip, a third tip on this question. The other thing I do with our kids is at the end, during dinner time, um, when they were younger or at tuck-in time, I would have them write down a six word story about their day. Like, just tell me a story about the day. And, you know, Cooper or Devin at some point would just go like, you know, brush teeth, eat breakfast, go to school. You know, like they would, they would like, you know, create that arc and stuff. But over time, they start getting really good at stories and stories make us human and stories accelerate connection. Because when we know each other's stories, we feel like we really know them. And you can do small little habits, like writing a six word story about the day, every day, at the end of the day, 10 seconds, whether you share it or not, that is a really powerful activity for you to start playing around with number one, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, just chunking things in stories. Number two, actually telling, you know, humorous stories because life has a lot of failures, which makes good stories. And if you reframe it in terms of a comedy, you start to see kind of that potentially hard story from a different angle. And three, this only takes like 10, 30 seconds each day. We don't remember much of life. Like think back about your last summer. What do you remember? Or last year, what do you remember? What bubbles up? We live a life that's often fast paced and we don't chunk these stories. And yet we know when we chunk stories, what was the story of the day? That people are much more likely to remember it, retain it. And then if they even, if they just know those stories, they'll oftentimes feel more connected, not just to their own selves, but the world that they live in. So that would be my third tip, write down six word stories. That's a good challenge. I'm gonna try that. I think our time is running short. So I'm just gonna ask you because 
it's clear we know each other pretty well. <laughs> we, um, so I know that you're going to become an empty nester in about a year. Got two, two boys who are now, well, young men who are um, in college and currently doing years abroad. And you have this daughter who is a senior. So how are you going to make that transition and, and uh, use humor to get through that? Any difficult times that might come as being part of the empty net, the, the nest emptying out, um, or you know, not letting them know too much how excited you are to <laughs> yeah, have the house yourself. I think we've been think starting to think about this. So one thing that I'm so proud of in our life is that we try to live an unconventional life. Meaning, like we when the boys turn went to middle school which we know is where everyone's soul goes to die and you basically don't learn anything. We started doing these family sabbaticals where we moved different cities or countries for anywhere from it started with six months down to like three months down to two months. But for five years, we moved to New York and then Berlin and Stockholm and um, Australia and then back to New York. And it was a big pain because we pulled the kids out of school and sometimes we had to homeschool the kids. We had to put, you know, enroll them in other schools. But it really, but number one, it was so funny. It was so funny because the kids would get lost in New York or not know how to like hail a taxi in Sydney. And, and like these stories of like, like of all of us just like, you know, not knowing our way made us feel closer and made it so much easier for us not to take ourselves so seriously. And that was a really weird way of living five years. And so moving into this next phase, I told Andy, you know, how do we live unconventionally? What do we do that's weird and unpredicted? And I don't know if we have a good answer yet, but you know, there are ideas like we might move in with the kids, you know, how people want to live away from our kids. Maybe we'll just move to whatever college campus they are and start going to school. I don't know. We're not going to do that. But the idea is how do we think in weird ways? Um, you know, another um, another set of ideas is like, who are the people that most elevate us and we love, even if we don't know them that well? And, and how can we be still located, you know, probably at home, but then spend like a month over here with people that we just like fell in love with or a week over here or three months over there. And so what is the equivalent of sabbaticals? And then the second thing I think we think about um, is these five questions that I often ask either the CEOs or leaders or students that I work with. And we do this for ourselves too. As we think about making decisions in the day-to-day -day or, you know, over the next year or this next chapter of our lives, we say, do we have enough fun? You know, do we know what elevates us? Um, like as things come in, do you say like, you know, heck yes or no? And really trying to say no, only say yes to the like, heck yes, I definitely want to do that. So do I have a, an element, a good element of fun in my life of what's elevating me? The second is fulfillment. Um, what I was, am I doing what I was put on this planet to do? So think back around this idea of authenticity. What is truly you? Are you enacting that? And then the third is balance. Am I keeping all parts of myself attended to? Am I still being the, the mom I want to be, the daughter I want to be, the friend I want to be, 
Is there a balance across those domains? The fourth question is impact. Am I making a difference in the lives of others? Am I serving others enough? Um, and then fifth is do space. Do I have space for beauty, humor, and spontaneity? Because we remember those times where we're just running so fast or not even questioning and just doing what everyone else does that we don't have create space for it. And um, our research shows that that's so important. So instead of necessarily knowing the destination or knowing what we will do, I think we're very focused on the journey and asking ourselves those five questions. That's wonderful. So the transition becomes an adventure. Yes. That's great. I was going to ask you uh, something about those five questions. So thanks for leading right into that. (laughs) I want to let everybody know that there will be a link to not only your TED Talk, but uh, the fascinating talk that you were part of about human-centered AI and about the the book that you and Andy wrote about the dragonfly effect um, that you, using social media for humanitarian projects, including finding and matching donors to, in order to pro- prolong people's lives. Uh, that's going to all be in the end notes, but there's a lot more. As you can tell, audience, that... <laughs> Jennifer is a fascinating person with an incredible amount of information and insight and practical tips. I love how many practical tips we got. And so um, if you'd like to have even more than what we can put in the end notes, email me, Christine at radiantjoy.us, and I'll send you a long list of many of Professor Jennifer Ocker's resources and notes. Um, and those five questions that she just went over. So just to be a little bit surprising, I'd like to thank you in Portuguese, Spanish, French, and Italian, because those are romance languages and faith <laughs> is about love. So, muito obrigada, muchas gracias, merci beaucoup, and grazie mille. Thank you so very much to those who joined us and Jennifer, thank you to so much, so much to you. What a wonderful guest. And I also look forward to spending the rest of our weekend together. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Christine's Radiant Joy podcast. Please visit radiantjoy.us to subscribe to her monthly Radiant Joy newsletter to be notified when her next book is released or to set up an appointment to speak with Christine about Unbound Ministry. And please pass this along to others who might enjoy it. Christine is an award-winning quilt maker whose spiritually inspired quilts is featured in the Reap As You Sew section of radiantjoy.us. You're in for a treat if you go check it out. You'll find her blog and the complete archive of all of her podcast episodes at radiantjoy.us or you can subscribe through your favorite podcast player and never miss an episode. Each month, Christine will bring you a message of how you are called by God, remembering that we are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God planned. You are equipped with every spiritual blessing you need to succeed. We look forward to getting together here every first Thursday. Don't wait. Connect now with Christine at radiantjoy.us. God bless you.